I started recording too early. Make sure you edit this bit out, Tom. Um, Dave. <laughs> oh, what a start. What's your name again? Jonathan Thomas, isn't it? Edwards. I'll take Edwards. <laughs> Edwards. Right. Okay, let's go. Welcome to the uh, Bridging the Gap podcast. John, I don't know if you realise that's what we call the podcast these days, but that's what the Bridge podcast is called. What was it? Bridging the podcast. Bridging the gap. That was a, that was a suggestion we had from our list, our huge listenership, and we've stuck with that. So, the 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 podcast having it a bit later in the week this week because I uh, I had to pin down um, Mr. Reverend Jonathan Thomas who preached for us on Sunday. We're not doing the podcast on the topic of the sermon. Uh, we're actually doing it on something else because Dave and I spotted a while back that uh, John had been doing some stuff on creation care, and we kind of got thinking, well, what on earth? creation care we thought we knew probably what that was about and then we've also been discussing our next preaching program john which is going to be um after easter we're going to do the first three chapters of genesis so there's an obvious link there and we're hoping you're about to give us loads of material we can use as we're preaching through the first three chapters <laughs> so creation care john um which i'm assuming is going to be about environmentalism and how christians care for the environment and why we should before you unpack that for us I, lo I love asking you these questions. What? How did you get into this particular area of doctrine, Christian thinking? What What led you here in the first place? So about four years ago, um, if we'd done this interview, all my answers would have been completely different. So this <laughs> is an area of theology and Christian living that I've kind of changed my view on. Okay. Um, and so I guess, like many people, I've always thought, you know, there is an environmental crisis and, you know, we should do our bit as kind of individual parts of humanity and the individual Christians should do that. Yeah. Um, but it isn't the place of the church to do that. You know, where about evangelism and mission and so forth. And so about four years ago, I was teaching a course on the church and mission um, for a Bible college. And um, I needed to cover things like environmentalism. And, um, you know, started writing the course, read a few books, um, you know, all kind of confirming my views, the kind of de young school of church and mission. And then I read a book that made me realise I might not be right. Um, and so I was a little bit on the ropes, a little bit worried, finished the course, recorded the course. The course still gets taught today where I kind of teach my old views. Um, yeah. But actually, it led me on a journey of wider reading and, and reflection on the Bible that actually brought me to a place where I thought, actually, I think even the church should be involved right. in our response to the environmental crisis. Okay, so so what you're going to be saying isn't going to be just about you and me as individual Christians, but part in part at least some of your views about what the church corporately should be concerned about and doing. Yes, yes, I, yeah, I am. <laughs> Hope that's a well, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this because I because I. I generally would subscribe to sort of a de young position in terms of the mission of the church is sharing the gospel and yes there are these other important things we do but to be fair i don't think you really touched on this particular subject at all from what i remember so um I, i'm gonna listen in with interest so <laughs> well just to kick off and ask the first question is um creation care is environmentalism then if i can use that loaded term something that christians should be involved in and are there any dangers to that particular term environmentalism so I think lots of us, when we think of environmentalism, think of campaigning and um, generally think of organisations that aren't stacked with Christians. Um, 
often actually can be quite anti-Christian. Um, so there have been papers written and people um, who have spoken, particularly in America, um, where they would actually try and say that the church is to blame for the environmental problem because the Bible teaches that we should dominate um, mm. the world and that, you know, in America anyway, they, they're big into believing that God's just going to destroy the world. Um, so, you know, just use what you need to use and get as many people to heaven as possible because mm. in the end, this world is going. Yeah. So environmentalism um, has got some parts of it that maybe we might struggle with. But as well, um, I was really influenced by Moo and Moo, a father and son. Uh, Douglas Moo, great um, Bible scholar, and his son, Jonathan Moo, who um, is a scientist, environmentalist. And um, they pointed out something which I'd never realised before. But environmentalism is all about the environment. And then you have to ask the question, well, the environment of what or whom? And it's mm. all about us. So the environment is about the environment in which humans can live and flourish. But actually, I don't think that's a big thing in the Bible. Um, so when you look at the Genesis, so here's some Genesis thoughts for you. Yeah, take um, it <laughs> You know, Genesis 1 is fascinating in the way that the days of creation are structured, you know, in the way they kind of work together, the interdependence mm. of the cosmos. So day one is day and night, whereas day four then is sun and moon. Day two is waters above and below. And then day five is birds and fish. Mm. And then day three is like land and vegetation, whereas day six is animals. So one, you know, they you kind of have this symmetrical system going through. And yeah. you kind of see the way God creates the world to be interdependent. And on each day, he says every day it's good, which mm. is interesting because it's good before we rock up. Yeah. So before <laughs> we turn up on day six, the world is still good. Then we come, and interestingly, then it's very good. It's very good. Mm. And so I don't think the world is predominantly about us so I think we're a very kind of anthropocentric people so it's all about us we're the center of everything yeah. which I think is the problem with thinking about an environment because it's a human environment mm. whereas I don't think the earth is primarily a human environment so uh, psalm um, you know the psalms would say that you know the earth is the lord's and everything in it mm. so actually I want to be a god-centered kind of thinker yeah. So God creates the world for his, for his enjoyment, and we're part of that. So I think it's not about human environment, but God's creation. So we care for the world, not primarily because it's our environment, but that is important Yeah. because it's God's creation. That's, that's, that's interesting. So a bit, a bit like, the, is it Jonathan Edwards' idea of you know, the world being a theatre for, for God's glory, that, that that's kind of the start, that's the starting point, not us, is what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. yeah, no, and, and I love that. So, you know, there's parts of the world that, you know, uh, trees and birds that no one's ever seen and no one will ever see. Mm. Um, and really, in some senses, don't do us any good. Um, I know there's the whole kind of ecosystem, but ultimately lots of them don't. Yeah. And, and so why did God do it? Why did God make it so beautiful? You know, mm. why did God make it that the bird would sing so beautifully when there's no one to hear it? I mean, does a bird make a sound when it sings and there's no one there to hear it? That's a, oh, man, a philosophical yeah, question. Philosophy now. But but it's wonderful. <laughs> God does it for his glory. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is which is amazing. So yeah, I love I love that. Well, that's that's a really helpful starting point then. So it sounds like you've been on a bit of a journey on this yourself. Uh, so having been on that journey how, how do you think you and well how have christians misunderstood the bible then on creation care what are some of the categories maybe we've got wrong do you think yeah so i think you know it's 
Genesis 1, I think, you know, we need to realise the world was good before we were here. Mm. But then Genesis 2, I think, is probably more important for us as humans. Um, so, you know, I'll just open my Bible now, Matt, if this is okay. But um, Genesis <laughs> 1, 2 um, and verse 15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Yeah. And it's that kind of dual command that keeps coming back up, interestingly, when the covenant is kind of renewed with Noah um, further on. These kind of two roles that humanity is given, uh, which is to uh, be the gardener and the caretaker. Mm. Those are kind of the two phrases. So really, we're here and we're meant to garden, um, meant to you know, go forth and multiply, um, you know, and to enjoy creation, you know, originally and always. Our command is always to go, but as well to caretake is to take care of it. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a kind of huge part of what we're meant to do: be these yeah. kind of gardeners and caretakers. Hmm. So, so we're getting into what you're what you're saying. The Bible is actually saying about creation care. So, can you unpack that a bit more for us? And, and maybe at this point, uh, say something about so. And so, why would you say that? The, the church corporately should be taking more interest in this rather than just you and me as ordinary Christians, as creatures made in God's image, who are given this responsibility. Why the church? So yeah. anything more you want to say there? Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? Because, you know, it's, it's a nuanced argument because mm. the church is the people and the people are the church. So there's a sense in which Christians come together to make the church up. So is it possible for christians to be mandated to do something and then for the church not to do that yeah um so for example um you know christians are commanded to love their neighbor and to care for the poor um so does that mean then that when the church comes they shouldn't care about the poor because they're in this mm. kind of congregational sense right yeah um and then to what point is the church only doing what it's doing when it's gathered as opposed to when it's scattered so when members of my church are doing things, because they're members of my church, then truly my church is doing that. Mm -hmm. I know it's a slight yeah. nuance, mm -hmm. um, but, but in the end, you know, there are going to be lots of things like creation care and like um, animal welfare. I think I can make a point mm -hmm. about that from scripture. Um, you yeah. know, uh, who knows the beauty of architecture and art. Yeah. Um, you know, all of these things, some Christians will be far more passionate about than others. Yeah. Um, and I think the key is none of those things are the, the kind of ultimate primary aim of the church. Mm. So why does the church exist? The church exists really as a mission. Mm. Um, but then if we understand what the mission is from Genesis to Revelation, um, it, does it does involve the world. So the world mm. is created good, and ultimately, Revelation teaches us it's going to be recreated yeah. good. Um, and so it seems odd to me that in the middle of that, mm. um, we would ignore that kind of desire yeah. to be good. Well, that, it's, it's interesting to use the, the example of you know caring for animals, isn't it? Because you could, it's probably a bit easier with that example to say, well, if you're a farmer or if you, you own a pet, then obviously that applies to you. But it might be hard to see how the church could have a role in sort of caring for animals but when it comes to an environment generally it, it, yeah it's the environment in which we all live and have been given so that there's there's a connection with all of us isn't there yeah and, and part of the issue is um someone's pointed out that we're consumers and we like to we like to see ourselves as consumers because 
we often feel that the consumer bears no responsibility to the product they consume. Hmm. So our only responsibility is to get the right product for us at the right price for us. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, it's that kind of amoral or, dare I say, immoral um, consumerism that actually mm. pushes um, immoral farming methods and animal yeah. um, welfare. Um, and so actually, whilst we like to think that whole chain has nothing to do with me, so take fast fashion, for example. Mm. You know, I've got my right to buy my cheap clothes and have fast fashion and then just chuck it after I've worn it twice. Mm. Okay, well, okay, you have that right to do it, but you need to understand you have a moral obligation for the child yeah. who's in slavery producing that. Um, or yeah. the water system that was polluted in the area mm. because of that. I know I'm sounding a bit harsh now, Matt. Um, no, no, it's, it's, it's good pushback because I, I thought I'd successfully pushed away my responsibility to care for animals, but actually you pushed it right back into my kitchen because there, there is a relevance, isn't there? Yeah, because in the end, global economics is driven by the consumer. Mm. So ultimately it's us. Yeah. And I think we need to reclaim that sense of um, that sense of kind of responsibility. So, OK, I may not be keeping people in poverty, um, you know, personally, but actually my actions as a consumer are keeping children in poverty. Yeah. Um, and so I've got to ask questions about that. Yeah, see that that now that's interesting too because I guess we're kind of moving away from just the sort of genesis angle on this, aren't we? So other parts of scripture you know when you when you think about um you know, we've thought about the creation accounts but what about the law of moses what about the gospels what about the epistles i mean do you see this something as something that's you mentioned revelation and genesis the book ends what about in between is this a theme that keeps coming through yeah because it's interesting isn't it so god creates us to to garden and caretake and the world is good then we have the fall interestingly part of the fall is a curse on the world mm. um so you know thorns and thistles and um, you know, kind of, yeah, you know, there's going to be environmental consequences. And interestingly, Romans 8, when Paul looks back at the gospel in Romans 8, he talks about the earth groaning in anticipation. Mm. And in, in kind of Paul's kind of theology in Romans and in 1 Corinthians 15, for example, with the perishable and imperishable, mm. there is a link between the kind of physical future of the body and the physical future yeah. of, of the earth. So there is, a, there is a link, you know, so Colossians, for example, staying with Paul a little bit, he talks about the redemption of all things, you know, and all things are going to come back, which includes the world. So Matt Chandler is really helpful on this. Matt Chandler has a great little um, book. It's a red book. And for the life of me, I can't remember the title. I'm sure it's got gospel in the title because it's Matt Chandler. <laughs> um, I don't even know the book that I'm thinking of, but the explicit gospel, Matt Chandler. Mm makes it sound ruder than it is but the explicit gospel and he talks about kind of the gospel on the ground and the gospel in the air and how as christians we're really good on the personal salvation of people and the church and how the gospel involves that but then he says but actually the gospel is far more than that because mm. it's all things being made new and being brought back uh, into its rightful place which does involve gotcha. yeah um, yeah the world so in that sense i think you can see that in the kind of way that Paul looks back. But I think I find interesting Old Testament law. You mentioned Old Testament law. Now, we could be here for five hours discussing <laughs> the role of the law in the Old Testament. Um, whatever the role of the law is in the Old Testament, lots of the laws will reveal the character of God and lots mm. of the laws will reveal principles. So even if we don't have to follow the laws, you know, I can mix my... Um, 
uh, my types of cloths and material if I want to, you know, I don't believe I have to follow that law. Yeah. But actually, there is a principle in that law. And there are principles there that I think reveal something from Genesis and the character of God that we need to unpack. So, for example, when you look at Israel as a nation, um, they're given the land and then they get these host of laws in like De Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus and, and earlier on in, in Exodus. And there's things you notice. So, for example, tithes. So here's a question. Why do the Israelites tithe to God? And they tithe things like, you know, the first of their animals, mm. the first of their um, of their products coming out of the ground. Um, an argument could be made that that is a demonstration of the fact that God is the landlord and mm. they are the tenants. Yeah. So actually, the land that we have, so everything is the land, is, mm -hmm. is the Lord's. And so they're paying a tithe. So I think the tithe, you know, is... Is interesting yeah, showing yeah. that we are renters, not landlords. Mm. But then the Sabbath, you know, when you read the Sabbath command, it's fascinating because you know you read the Sabbath command, and, and in the Deuteronomy one, um, we see that the Sabbath affects animals. So the animals are meant to have a day off, not mm. just the, the humans. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, the Sabbath principle on a yearly thing says the land should have a Sabbath every seven years, which yeah. is really fascinating. Um, so, you know, it's built in or, for example, like bizarre, there's bizarre laws about wars. So in the Old Testament, again, in Deuteronomy, um, when Israel went to war, they weren't allowed to hurt the trees. I mean, that's bonkers, isn't it? So they're going to go in, they're going to kill the people. But God says, yeah, but don't touch the trees. Now, mm. what is going on there? <laughs> and, and it's basically because the Bible's really anti kind of if I can be controversial, the Putin approach to war, mm. which is just, we'll just bomb them out and destroy yeah. everything and mm. cause a kind of a created famine. Mm. Um, and so interestingly, um, God protects the trees. I mean, in Israel's day, I think, I think trees took like seven years or whatever before they could produce anything good. So, you know, you destroy a tree and, you know, you're, you're stuffed for seven years. <laughs> but as well, I, the most famous one that everybody will know um, is the gleaning laws. Now you're going, what are the gleaning laws, if you're listening, perhaps, but you do know it. So remember with Ruth in the book of Ruth, when she comes back and she goes to Boaz's field, she's there, and basically the Old Testament law had this system whereby, um, because it was a patriarchal society and the men held all the money, there was laws to make sure that women never fell out of that. So if your husband died, you married the brother, for example, to keep make sure that the family name goes on and, and, the, and the wife and children are okay. So you have this kind of Old Testament social security system, but then every once in a while, even that didn't work, like with mm. Ruth. So then they had other laws as a kind of safety net below, and one of them was cleaning, which is basically when you were farming, if you dropped anything while you were picking it up, you, you weren't allowed to then pick it up again. You had to just leave it on the floor. Mm. And you weren't allowed to like farm to the edge of your fields. Mm. You had to leave the edges. So the whole idea then was these people who needed help, could go and, and pick it up. Now, those gleaning laws are fascinating because Israel was a subsistence environment. You know, it was dry farming. It was very sketchy. They didn't have, like, massive, you know, storehouses or whatever. So they really lived hand-to-mouth. But yet, even in that, God was like, yeah, but you don't exploit the land. Yeah. You don't take everything. You leave it for others. So there's an interesting, in the laws, whilst I don't think all of those laws apply today, you see that God is creating laws in Israel in such a way that the land has longevity. 
So you're swapping what you're planting in different places. You're giving it time off every seven years. Every 50 years, it's actually reverting. So you can't build up massive piles of land in certain families and have these massive kind of faceless conglomerate owners of land. Mm. Um, it's a really interesting way of, of doing it. But as well, you've got to use the land in such a way that it's sustainable and it's helping the poor. Yeah. So I'm not saying all the laws apply, but I'm saying mm. they show something of the, the character of God and, and principles yeah. for us today. So this this creation care idea is a biblical idea, and it's a, it's not just an idea that crops up here and there. It's a theme that's running through, isn't it? Yeah. So just to go back to uh, I suppose the, the question about Christians and, and the church. So you know I can see from what you're saying there how they're me buying eth ethically sourced products, foods, um, doing my recycling thinking about you know swapping to if, if i can manage it an electric or hybrid car sooner or rather these sort of things i can see how for, for an individual christian there are things i could be thinking about what would you say that the church corporately could be thinking about doing differently or yeah. better because it's hard isn't it because we don't see the impact of our decisions in the uk in wales we don't really see it so you know if you lived in wales if you'd lived up here in the valleys, well, I'm right next to the valleys. So if you'd lived in the valleys kind of a hundred years ago, you would have seen the impact of mining mm. where literally they'd go into a community and they'd rip a mountain down and then they'd build another mountain right on top of a school, all about saving money. They just pile it up on top of these kids. Who cares? We just want the money. England need the coal or whoever, the rest of Wales, yeah. the rest of the world. It all goes there. And then one day it just slips down and kills nearly everybody in the school. Now that's all because there were Christians and people around the world who just wanted the cheapest coal they could get yeah. in their homes. Now that is really taken away from us. So we don't see that in Wales anymore. But actually, you know, the, the decisions we make have those kind of effects all over the place. So, you know, look, not wanting to, to get into it, but, you know, the way animals are... Um, farmed and the way that cows are destroyed i mean it's just like go into it. it's not probably mm. not a good conversation for a podcast mm. so i think once you understand that we need to care for creation because it's god so it's god's good creation he's created it to reflect his glory and beauty he's created it for us to be able to live within it and he wants us to have it but he doesn't want us to exploit it yeah. so we have you know the earth and everything in it is the Lord's, and we can use it for everything we need, but we can't use it for our greed. I think that's the kind of gotcha. yeah. um, the kind yeah. of principle. So I think then, just as as churches, I think it's it's questions of um, so, for example, lots of churches in Wales now. I think you might be one of them. If you're not, sorry for outing you. Um, but you know, lots of churches, for for example, are are drinking manumit coffee. Mm. Um, and the reason we're drinking money with coffee is um, because actually it's ethically sourced coffee. So yeah. where it's grown, I've given a better percentage of the money, but also it's helping people who have turned up in Wales and have been um, trafficked or whatever. And we're helping them actually to, to be given yeah. dignity and to be able to find um, work. So swapping your coffee um, to fair trade or manumit or whatever Okay, it'll cost us a little bit more. It's not the cheapest. But actually, the lives that are being changed on the other side of the world and in Cardiff are, are huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, energy bills and the way we use energy. 
mm. printing and the way that we print things and yeah. um, do our media. I think just as a church as well, do we need to have a higher view of creation? So do we celebrate creation and the beauty of creation? Mm. Um, do we encourage people um, to, to enjoy creation? You know, yeah. to do as the Lord did and go to the kind of, the, you know, the quiet places, the desolate places, the, the kind of, you know, and enjoy time with, with the Lord outside. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think it's just it's thinking about things like that, really. You know, yeah. little things that actually if, if every church in the UK made ethical choices on, mm. um, on coffee or whatever, yeah. um, it could have a huge impact. Big impact. Yeah, that that that's that's helpful, John. I think, um, and also I suppose going full circle, it's the church making sure that we teach into this, isn't it? That when we see this theme coming up, we don't we don't skip over it. We we teach it and we teach it well. Yeah, and you know, and I think as well evangelistically, um, one of the byproducts of having a a strong view of creation care is evangelism. So a great guy, Derriar Will Hughes, um, he's gone to glory now from um, Pontypridd. He was theological advisor to Tia Fund. And mm. um, interestingly, Dewey Arrell Hughes said, if the church woke up to the global crisis and acted, he said the world would wake up to the church. Yeah. And I think this is so true. So there's another guy at the moment, Sam Chan, who's written mm. a lot on evangelism, evangelism and skeptical world. Sam Chan reckons that the generations coming up now, those kind of in their 20s and under, for them, the big question is global issues and um, the kind of environmental kind of crisis, mm. Greta Thunberg and, and all of that. And interestingly, Sam Chan is saying, if you're not talking about this because you say it's not an issue, they won't think that you're saying it's not an issue. They'll think you're saying it's not important and it's not a problem. Mm. Yeah. And so actually, it's going to really put off another generation. Yeah. So, yeah. I think, you know, for our children coming up, I think actually we really want to show that, you know what, this isn't a new thing. Mm. You know, this didn't, you know, originate with Greta Thunberg. Mm. Um, actually, Christians have been talking about this for years. Francis Schaeffer was talking about it, yeah. um, you know, mm. years ago. And it's all the way back in Genesis and mm. all the laws of the Old Testament. So that I think we have a great opportunity to reclaim this kind of forgotten part of Scripture. Yeah, it can help us evangelistically as well. So, so it's not it's not only being hearing what the word's saying and being having integrity. There's, there's a link to the gospel, isn't there? In the, in the sense of this is one of the things like works of mercy, etc. Not only good things for Christians to do out of the love of Christ, but they they can gain a hearing for the gospel as well. Which at the end of the day is what our core mission is to, to yeah. proclaim that. So there's there's a link, isn't there? Yeah, no, hugely. And you know, it's, it's loving what the Lord has made. You know, if I if I love if I love the Lord, I love what He's made. And yeah. I love what he's yeah. yeah. You know, That's it's, good. it's wanting to do that really. So closing question before I come to any any particular books other than the Moo and Moo book that you might you might recommend. Um and I guess this is something you kind of it's the whole discussion around what the core mission is and the other good things that the church can do. You can apply it to works of mercy, um, social justice. How do we focus on this and teach creation care and do creation care well? Uh, but not end up having the tail wagging the dog where we're focusing more on this than we are on the gospel. Any any thoughts on that as we're sort of wrapping up? Yeah, yeah that's huge. Because what's the point in being, you know, in a new creation if our loved ones aren't there? You know, it's wonderful yeah. to be with the yeah. Lord, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But actually, mm -hmm. um, what am I really saying? Um, 
in that. And that's why I think this should never become the primary focus of the church. Um, I think it's one of the many things that when we teach the whole counsel of God, we can't help but we can't help but teach. Um, and I think it's just the little things that we put into the church, you know, and um, yeah, I think it's those little things that make the the big difference. I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's trusting that it's in scripture. Yeah. And if we just teach the Bible, it will come up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's just yeah. not losing our nerve in expositional preaching. But actually, if we teach the whole counsel of God and cover it fully, yeah. um, then it's, I, I, yeah, I think it's, I think that will keep the gospel central uh, in all things. Amen. Preach your brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, that's genuinely given me a lot to think about when I go away. Um, and I, I'd, I'd like to be doing some reading up on this myself. So, uh, any just as we finish off any books in particular you'd recommend for for those listening in yeah so a frustration for me is there isn't a knock it out of the park book for everybody right. um mm. so you know if you're a real big reader and you want to read you know a kind of 300 page um theological and scientific reflection then if that is you um then the best book is creation care a Biblical Theology of the Natural World by Moo and Moo. Um, it's, a, it's a big book. Um, it's a bit like a textbook, really, but that covers everything. Yeah. So Creation Care, A Biblical Theology of the Natural World um, by Moo and Moo. Um, but if you want something a bit uh, smaller, kind of on the theology of it, if you're happy to read from an American perspective, um, then I just finished yesterday, actually, a great book called Stewards of Eden, by Sandra Richer. Mm -hmm. um, so Stewards of Eden by Sandra Richer. She's really good at kind of looking at Genesis and the laws in particular yeah. um, and applies it to the American situation. I'll be honest, I had to put the book down a couple of times because some of the farming techniques um, explored were so upsetting. Mm. Um, I, I couldn't do it. But it's a short book and um, I think most Christians could... Um, could read that, uh, Stewards of Eden, that's, that's really good. Um, if you love kind of Francis Schaeffer, if you're a Francis Schaeffer, he actually yeah. wrote on this <laughs> called Pollution and the Death of Man, a Christian oh. view of ecology. He was so ahead of his time. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's really, really good. Obviously, it's kind of 40, 50 years old now, mm. but it's still relevant. I think Crossway have just republished it. So I got my second-hand copy here with a, a skull on the cover uh, because, you know, they used to love putting skulls on the cover of books back in the 70s. <laughs> um, but uh, Pollution and the Death of Man, The Christian View of College by Francis Schaeffer. Mm. And then just the last um, thing, if you're not so keen on, like, reading up on the theology and you just want to know what to do, um, then there's uh, two brilliant books. Um, so for all ages, there's a book called L is for Lifestyle by Ruth Valerio. L is for Lifestyle by Ruth Valerio, and she just goes through the entire alphabet. And for every letter in the alphabet, um, she gives you something small you can do. Um, so K is for kippers, um, P is for plastic, T is for technology, V is for volunteering. It's a really good book, L is for Lifestyle. And if you want to get your kids thinking about this, then L is for Lifestyle has been updated by Paul Carenza, who's a brilliant comedian. And uh, Paul Carenza has teamed up with Ruth Valerio, done a little kid's book, which is called Planet Protectors. 
planet protectors and that's got 52 ways to look after god's world which is nice and small it's got loads of pictures and drawings and cartoons um and is a superb little book um so yeah so there's some books you can nice one thanks john well i'm definitely gonna have to get at least one of them and get planet protectors <laughs> <laughs> i'll start with that and work up if that's too much for me i'll just uh, yeah i'll just i'll just give up <laughs> but, but thanks John and genuinely it was really it was a it was lovely to have you with us on Sunday to preach thank you for that and uh, it's been great to follow up on this this very different topic and uh, I hope it's not too long before we see you at the bridge again yeah I hope so thank you Matt great to be thanks, with you bro